Welcome to the Commons Cast. We're glad to have you here. We hope you find something meaningful in our teaching this week. Head to commons.church for more information. Happy to have you along as we continue our launch this fall and uh, the beginning of season as we were talking about with our announcements about this worship night that's coming up. These are exciting days around Commons as we launch into another new year, and there's lots going on for sure. You've heard us talking about home groups and dinner parties and the stuff coming up this week. And in addition to that, there's all the local serve opportunities that have dates and availabilities coming open for you this fall. And there are lots of chances to engage and start to take next step with, steps with us. And yeah, we do want to be the kind of community that's a safe place for every person, but we also want to be the kind of community where even when it feels a little bit nerve-wracking, you can start stepping into newness and to change that you feel is necessary for your life. And of course, there's lots of ways that we choose to take these steps individually, but if you're interested in talking about how to connect, please know that I am always game to grab coffee and chat about those things amongst all the other stuff that's going on because, yes, we do take coffee pretty seriously in our community, but we also take these kinds of life-giving conversations really seriously. So I want to offer that to you, as always. Many of you we've connected, but I hope we can connect again in the future. Those are moments where our lives parallel for a few moments. It's one of the things I love about this work that we do together as community. So thank you for sharing those moments with me. Now, that brings us back to this discussion that we started last week about the problem of prayer. And what's interesting is how this week even, during many of my conversations, this series became a central topic or often too, my mind kept returning to some of the things we talked about and no, It didn't come up in conversation because I kept saying to people, so how are things on Sunday? Pretty good teaching, huh? Because that would have been weird. No, it was more just a natural development of where I think we might, or many of us might find ourselves. This discussion of prayer seems to tap into some of the things that we're experiencing. Many of us might be in a season where we feel that we need to connect with God. Or maybe we're willing to admit, even in a series like this, that prayer has been a bit of a confusing practice in our lives. Or two, maybe we're discovering that the words that we've used to pray just don't sound right anymore. Or maybe they never did. And I think that for some of us who have been around religious environments, there can be this subtle fear that we pick up along the way with regards to prayer, where we can feel that it's something that we should be doing a lot more of, without knowing how to do it. Or we can end up feeling like there's other people who seem to be praying more than us, or that they are better than us. And we end up feeling like second-tier participants in community, like somehow we don't get the experiences and the perks of being truly spiritual. And last week, I tried to make it clear that those kinds of experiences are totally normal, that we aren't somehow deficient if we feel like that sometimes. Then we talked about how this three-week journey through a topic like this won't likely bring resolution to all the ways that we struggle with this practice. But I hope that that doesn't give you reason to want to check out. Because even if you're here and you would mark your relationship status with prayer as it's complicated, remember when we used to do this all the time? We'd mark our relationship statuses this way. Well, if you'd say, maybe as you think of yourself as being a praying person, that maybe you're actually more skeptical 
than a practicer. Or maybe you come to this series asking, what's the problem with prayer? Why are we even asking that question? Because your life is full and you have an engaged sense of connection to God in your spiritual life. The point is just that. Prayer isn't a problem because we're all failing in it or because we all need to learn some new method. Prayer can be a problem because at its core, it calls us to a posture of trust and vulnerability. And if nothing else, the problem is that choosing vulnerability doesn't change everything. We are still left with our experience and our challenge, and we're listening to divine silence often interspersed with the sound of our own voice when we actually try to do this thing. So that's the problem. But we don't have to stay there. Because there's this rich tradition of how people have learned to talk to God and learn to sense the divine in everyday life and learn to lean into how the spirit works and is around us always. And that tradition acknowledges the silences that follow our prayers and the ways that praying stretches us sometimes. And the truth is that by looking at all the ways that people have learned to pray in the past, we can learn that there isn't a right way to do it. There isn't a formula or a path to follow 100% of the time, except to say that to learn to pray is to learn to be honest, to name how we feel, to name the suffering in our lives and in the world around us, to speak life and hope to that suffering, and to honor or to offer honest words to describe the human experience, which is why we turn in this series to the script that Jesus gave us, where in teaching his friends to pray, he gave them a set of words. And we discussed this last week. He gave them this prayer to teach them about the right kinds of religious practice. Practices that don't just make the person doing them feel better, but the kind of practice that changes the world around the person doing it. Things like praying and fasting and being generous so that people aren't oppressed and people begin to see and people are given a chance to flourish in the living that they do. So then when we come to the Lord's Prayer then, we realize that Jesus wasn't just trying to get his disciples to make more time for quiet or to be more personally devoted. Those are good things for sure. But actually, when we look at the language of the prayer, we see that we can say it and we can repeat it. And when we do, we let its words come to us in the middle of our driving, maybe, or our cooking or our resting. And we find that it teaches us to pray together. And we see it when we pray it, we, we see ourselves as one of many, using these words to speak of God and speak to God looking for the kind of world that God longs to bring. A world that we step toward when we pray words like this. A world that we work together to make possible. So we've talked about maybe the ways that all of us come to prayer and to these words specifically that we're looking at in this series. But before we go further and start looking at some specifics, let's take a moment now and focus our hearts and our minds on this work that we do. Pray with me now. Gracious God, our hearts are open and our desires are known and nothing 
is hidden from you. And maybe we welcome that openness today. And we ask, if that's true, that you would give us grace to receive it, to hold it gently. Or maybe our experience in life has conditioned us to feel nervous when your kindness is mentioned and when your kindness draws near. And ultimately, we find ourselves suspecting your intentions. And so we ask this morning, would you give us courage to live toward you and toward others? We ask, would you teach us to pray with words that are true of us and true of you so that the light and the beauty that you bring can be known by all of your children, wherever they are and where we struggle Be our companion. Where we are burdened, be our relief. Where we are comfortable, be a stirring wind in our lives that carries us towards the kind of living that are marked by the nearness that you bring. And we ask these things now in the name of Christ. Amen. All right, so let's pick up Matthew 6 again today. And today we're going to talk a little bit about long-distance relationships and about using our imagination and about fresh bread. And as we get going, I want to take a look quickly at the opening phrase of the prayer. Because last week we talked about how prayer is said and recited. In this case, it's recited in the plural. And we didn't really go into anything else. And one of the things I want to quickly say about our practice, whatever it looks like, is that praying this should encourage us to ask ourselves the question of how and maybe we could live a little bit more like God is at the center. Because let's be honest, I think most of us probably come to prayer with a particular spatial awareness. And by that I just mean that we often think of praying as directing our words and thoughts up and away into the great unknown where God is apparently. And if we extend that image a little bit, then maybe praying for us feels like some of the conversations that happen in my house pretty regularly, where my kids, without thinking about whether they'll be heard or not, they just start yelling, Dad, Dad, Dad. It gets worse and worse as they keep going. And often, I'm literally around the corner or in the next room, and I have to say something like, "Um, I'm right here. But most of the time, I might be reading or cooking or watching something, and inevitably I have to yell back something like, I I can hear you, but I don't understand. You're going to have to come closer. And do you think they do? Very rarely. And we end up in this weird game of scream and translate until ultimately the message gets through. And it's comedic in some ways, but it's a special kind of stressful to be in a three-floor conversation all the time. And besides, I think the neighbors sometimes wonder why we're yelling so much. But the point is that I think we experience prayer like that, where there's, there's this distance that has to be covered. And that if there's no answer or change or comfort that come to us, then maybe we ask ourselves if maybe we just need to be louder or if we need to use different words But what would it look like if we were to start to see prayer less as something that we need to project out and up in order to be heard, and instead to think of it as a practice of reminding ourselves of how close God is, or at the very least, how our circumstances might be messing with our sense of distance 
to where and who God is. Just quickly, I'll say that I find that the Psalms help me with this distance gap that I feel sometimes. I find that the language and the imagery that are there, they help my view of where I am and my view of where God is. And it sometimes reorders those things. And one of the best examples of this is where the poet says of God, you know where I sit and when I rise. You discern my going out and my lying down. And you're familiar with all of my ways. And before a word was on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. Where can I go from your spirit? Where could I go from your presence, the poet asks. Which, maybe, this could be a psalm that you might choose to use when you feel like you're in a long-distance relationship. And one of the quirky things about long-distance relationships is that they work for very few people. And they're really hard work for everybody. And if nothing else, we need to have this imagination reordered where our prayers can function less like being in that kind of relationship. And we can function a little bit more like an internal reminder that God isn't far, that God isn't distant, that God isn't aloof, and that we aren't somehow disqualified, abandoned, or adrift in our lives. And instead, we begin to imagine prayer as a wind that maybe comes and clears the fog that we're in, where we see God being very near and at the center of our lives and our living and our experience, not out somewhere where we have to work and we have to wrestle to be heard. And that's just it. We need to do some work with our imagination as we pray. And part of the problem with prayer sometimes is that our image or our narrative or the tape inside our head about just what it is that we're doing, these things aren't good for us. So we come to this prayer that Jesus taught his disciples, one that we pray here pretty regularly at Commons, and as we saw last week, it begins, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And this is just an initial invocation and a petition Basically, just a sense of an expression of direction. Who are we talking to? And then a request that God's name would be recognized and respected, which is basically what the word hallowed means. And there's lots that we could say about these few lines, but we're going to keep going today. But what I will mention is that this request that God's name be respected, this is a little self-fulfilling because to pray at all, whether in the quiet of our mind or to live a prayer to combat justice, or to reflect on the ways that we are blessed and fortunate in this life is to make God's name known, to give it airtime, to help people see it and recognize it, especially when we live prayers or live lives that bring these prayers into reality. But then the prayer continues with a set of petitions, and these go like this. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And I want to camp here for a moment today because this is a place where maybe we need to be challenged. And I'll explain what I mean by telling you a quick story. And it's about my brother, brother brother-in-law and sister-in-law and their five-year-old daughter. Because, see, they've been trying to help Holly, that's her name, understand the story of Jesus. She's just little, she's just learning these things. And some of the things that Jesus teaches and talks about they can be a bit confusing. For example, one of the 
One of the things the Gospels talk a lot about is Jesus using this language of and this idea of kingdom. We see it in Mark's Gospel where Jesus tells the people in the crowd that the kingdom of God had come near to them. Or then in Luke 17 where he says rather cryptically, the kingdom of God is inside you. And then, of course, there's all these stories that we have where Jesus is telling the people around him, and he keeps saying things like, the kingdom of God is like. It's like a seed that grows into an expansive tree, or it's like a man looking for some treasure, or it's like a net that catches up all things. And just a quick teaser here, we're actually going to be coming back to some of these stories that Jesus told in our Lent series again this year, which would be a lot of fun. Anyways, Jesus uses this idea, this idea of kingdom a lot, which is why we shouldn't be surprised when it ends up in this prayer he's teaching. But what did it mean? Well, the average Jewish person in the first century would have been tipped off by this language to think about the wide, sweeping story of God making all things right in the world and how that story started with a guy named Abraham And then it started to expand to include more people. And how ultimately, the nation of Israel was supposed to represent God's desire, even though they failed over and over again to do that. And so by the first century, when Jesus is alive, the Jewish people are interacting with this idea, but they are occupied and dominated by the Roman Empire. And they are longing for the change that they think God would bring. They're looking for a leader who's going to challenge the powers of their day because they want to recover this kingdom that they think that God wanted to create a just and a beautiful society. And what we know is that when Jesus started talking about this idea, about God's kingdom, he was trying to flip people's understanding. He wanted them to see that in his simple life, his teaching and the way that he treated everyone that he came across, the kingdom of God had come because God's self had brought it to us and showed us what it could look like in a single life. Which brings me back to my niece. So my brother-in-law has been trying to help Holly to understand this idea of kingdom and how Jesus uses this language about how God's kingdom, it's like a seed and it starts small and then it grows and it grows and it becomes this great big thing. And you know what? This idea terrified my niece. I don't know if she was thinking about it like a washing machine with too much soap in it, like trying to keep the lid on or when you put Mentos into like a can of Coke or something like that. But she started asking questions like, is God's kingdom going to come and fill our house? And then they could see the gears just turning in her head, thinking like, this this doesn't sound good. Like, where are we going to live if this happens? In fact, at one point, I think they were on vacation this summer, they're playing on the beach. Holly announced tearfully that she didn't want God's kingdom to come. And I have to admit that when they told me that story, I thought it was cute, I thought it was a little bit funny. And I want to give you a little bit more context on who Holly is. She's super thoughtful, she's also a little bit shy. And an expression of that shyness is that she doesn't like being around adult men that she doesn't know that well. It's actually pretty common which is why she announced on that same vacation, her shyness and her thoughtfulness coming together, that she didn't want to go to heaven either when it dawned on her that heaven was likely to be full of men that she didn't know, which I also thought was cute because her imagination was at work. 
And when I remembered that story, it made me think of how we pray and how Jesus taught us to pray that his kingdom would come. And it hit me how, like, like with Holly's imagination, just like in ours, these big ideas, these things we pray for, in fact, even praying itself is informed by our imagination. And how sometimes in trying to wrap our minds around these things or work with them, we end up being scared by them. They just seem too big and we put them off or maybe we withdraw from them. Which is why at some level Jesus teaching us to pray these words teaches us that prayer is a practice of the right kind of imagining. See, for a first century follower of Jesus to pray for God's kingdom to come, they had to imagine a world where empires didn't have the final say. They had to imagine a world where ultimately love instead of power would be the ruler. And they had to begin to see their practices of kingdom community and generosity, living together with each other and welcoming everyone into that space. They had to start to imagine these things as being subversive to the practices of fear and control and exclusion that were used by the Romans. And these acts of prayer were audacious and they were imaginative. And some would have even said that they were foolish. And I wonder if we can't sense invitation in this today. First, maybe to imagine for the first time that to pray at all is to connect to life with all of your creative energy. Or perhaps to reimagine prayer as the time and the place and the words that you use to think widely and deeply and beautifully about the kind of world that God longs for, using your mind to do it. And maybe to imagine what kind of change your neighborhood needs, what kind of resources your company has already that could make a significant difference if given to a cause, or what kinds of shifts that might happen if you made some small changes in a relationship you're in. Because to pray at, like Jesus is to open yourself to the widest expanse of your imagination and then to work with God to make those things happen for your own soul, but then also for the sake of everyone around you. Now, I, I want to look quickly then at one more phrase at the end of this prayer or at the end of this section which is gonna leave us some work to do next week where we're gonna finish off the last few phrases and we're gonna look at a couple of practices that are connected to this prayer that I think some of us might find helpful. And this phrase that I want us to look at is at the beginning of a second string of petitions that culminate in the prayer's final stanza. And it is simply this, and I read it to you earlier. Give us this day our daily bread. And I wonder, as you look at this phrase up there, is there anything that stands up to you about it? Is there anything notable? Because I learned something about this verse a couple years ago that I'd never noticed it in all my time being around community and all my times praying it. I was reading this book by a saint of the church named Teresa of Avila. She was a 16th century nun, mystic, and she was an author as well. And one of the reasons that I love reading older resources in our tradition is because regularly they humble me 
Because these people, they were so brilliant with far fewer resources. I mean, many of them worked without paper, much less downloadable books, and they didn't have TED Talks, and they didn't have Wikipedia. And Teresa was no exception to this, which is why I'll just throw this out there. If you want to learn how to pray, I'd encourage you to seek out the writings of our fathers and our mothers in this tradition that we participate in, because they are such important guides for us. Anyways, this was true for me because I was reading one of Teresa's books and in this book she works through this prayer that we're considering and she asks, what's with this phrase? Why the repetition? Why say give us today our daily bread? Doesn't everybody want bread to be fresh? And here Teresa named a question that scholars still debate now. And the difficulty with this phrase is that the term that gets translated daily here, it doesn't really appear anywhere else in the Greek language and writings that we have, which makes it hard for us to understand what exactly the ancient authors meant with the awkward phrasing, give us our today bread today. And to be honest, there's a range of scholarly opinions that more or less emphasize one or two, uh, one or two broad positions. On the one hand, there are those who think that Jesus was talking about and teaching his followers to think about and pray about their everyday material needs. And then there are those over here that thought that the grammar hints at Jesus teaching his friends to pray something like, give us today tomorrow's bread. And scholars with this opinion think that Jesus' followers were praying to have and to enjoy the kind of full, peace-filled life today that they believed God would bring to all at the end of time. They had turned this prayer into a kind of cosmic prayer. And for the record, I'm much more inclined to side with the former of these for a number of reasons, but especially because this cosmic interpretation requires a stretching of the grammar a little bit more. But for now, let's acknowledge that for us, the most pressing question is how a phrase like this addresses our problems with prayer. In some ways, it would make sense to say that when we pray, when we speak out towards the divine, when we name where we are, when we ask for what we need, we speak both to the basicness of our everyday life, but then we also speak to the cosmic fabric of the universe. We speak of things like bread, which is just yeast and water and flour, and we speak today. We always pray in space in the time that we occupy consciously and yet mysteriously doing it now. And it seems to me that a lot of times when people pray, they prioritize one of these two positions over the other. They either obsess over the immediate and the material, they want it to change, or maybe then they stress instead over whether or not their words are the right words and whether they're connecting with the divine power at the center of all things, at the center of this ever-expanding universe. But guess what? I'm not sure that debating those two things is the best use of our time. What's far more helpful is to think about how Jesus' teaching can shape how we pray. And here I go back to Teresa, who felt that the disciples, when they got this teaching from Jesus, they were being taught to ask for their basic material needs. And she observed that to learn to ask for what we need gives us a chance to consider, quote, if what we ask of God is good for us. 
which is huge if you think about it. Because have you ever tried to ask God for something in your everyday life? Maybe for more of something, like resources to live with, or practice or patience to be a good partner or friend or parent especially. Or maybe you asked for something to change, to have some pressure lift in your life, to have something come off your mind, to be rid of some pain you carry. And Jesus invited us to pray these kinds of prayers because they're often unrehearsed and they're not pretentious because they're rooted in the rhythms of our todays, where we aren't caught up in the pursuit of some future security or some anxiety about how we're going to survive next month or next year. We're just naming what we need now, which, if we follow Teresa's advice, means that prayer becomes less a defense mechanism for our future and more an honest admission of what we need And why would Jesus have taught his friends to pray like that? Well, scholars point out that the economies of the ancient world, in many of them, laborers and careers, didn't matter what you did, you were often paid by the day for work done that day, which means that health and strength for daily living were so important because you could only buy your daily bread on the day that you got the money you'd worked for that day which shows us how precarious life was for the people who heard this and for how they were being taught to pray. And I think there's an invitation then for us, even though many of us are paid on a very different structure, where we might start to see our prayers as an invitation to see how really fragile our life is and to think about where our food comes from and how we might eat it and consume it more justly. Or to think about how the people who serve us, they also need to be paid. They need daily bread and maybe they are vulnerable. Or to think about how the earth comforts us and how it needs our care for it daily. Because the problem with our prayers is not that we ask. Maybe it's that we're more concerned about tomorrow and we're concerned about our security and we're concerned about our comfort. And then we offer prayers instead, Jesus asks us. Maybe ask them by naming your need and name others' need. And these become then prayers that challenge us so that we can see that even sometimes we don't have enough. So, my prayer for us is this, that as we work through this conversation, we feel more and more an invitation to pray. Maybe because you're able to, in some way, reframe prayer less as a long-distance phone call with a sketchy connection, and more as a practice of reminding yourself that God is near and center at all times. Or maybe as we've been talking about these things, you've caught a glimpse of a new perspective and new words and new ways that you could bring to prayer. And in these moments, maybe even here today, your imagination of what God's kingdom could be like is being stirred. There are sparks in your mind and heart where you begin to see that your connection to God's work in your life, it's changing and it's shifting and that maybe that excites you today. Or perhaps you are beginning to feel compelled 
to pray with simple words and with fervency for whatever you need today. Maybe it's something that you've been carrying for a long time. Maybe you're facing a new challenge, a new difficulty. Whatever the case, you're feeling this invitation to ask for today's need. And guess what? That is a feeling and an invitation that's good for all of us. So in this moment, I'm going to ask us to pray. And as we always do, I'm going to invite you, or as we do in this series, I'm going to invite you to pray the Lord's Prayer with me reading off the screen. But before we do that, I want to give you just a moment. And where your imagination has been stirred, perhaps you might offer a brief prayer of thanks for that. And maybe where you have need today, perhaps you might find courage to ask. I'm just, I'll give us a moment now to offer these things and then I'll ask you to pray together with me. So let's take a moment. These things we offer now and we bring them and we pray together as Jesus taught us. Join me now. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.